0: Welcome to DesignOps Island Discs, the weekly podcast from Zero Height that navigates the calm waters of design ops with your host, me, Luke Murphy. I'm a design advocate at Zero Height, and I'm talking to the best folks in design ops to navigate us through what it takes to float design ops within your design org. For episode five, I'm joined by Amy Hupe, a content designer and design systems expert. Amy was product owner for design systems at BT and Babylon Health, worked as a content lead on the gov.uk design system, and is currently a contract content design consultant at Mace and Mentor. Amy has spoken around the UK and Europe about content design, design systems, and accessibility, but today we talk to Amy about what goes into building a successful contribution model for your design system, so let's set sail. So to start with, I suppose the best place to start is probably a little bit of background because you have worked in so many cool places. Um, Just wanted to, yeah... Find out a little bit more about your history of, of how you've been working with like design systems and design ops generally.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I have worked in some cool places for design systems. So the coolest place I think I worked um, is where it kind of started for me, which was um, the Government Digital Service or GDS and I worked on the WK design system there. And I joined in 2017, <laughs> and I was there for three years and in that time, we took it from sort of alpha prototyping stage into mm. you know the live thing that it is today, um, and so that was really cool. It was, it was really like awesome to be there for the sort of whole journey of it, and to um, I guess like I hadn't, I didn't really have any concept of design systems before that. I didn't know what design pattern was. I didn't like. I just thought it was <laughs> a thing that GDS has made up, and uh, yeah, and so I spent quite a lot. A lot of my first six months there, going. So is it like a is it like a content style guide? What is it? What is it? <laughs> um, but yeah, it was um, it was a sort of it was a nice environment to get started in because it's GDS is like a really supportive sort of nice place to work. So there was lots of kind of space to learn and um, opportunities, I suppose, to like they're quite because they because they work quite openly um they were sort of fairly supportive of me like going out and talking to lots of other design system teams and people working in that space um about sort of what we were doing and about what they were doing so (laughs) that was really cool
0: I mean it Um, just sounds like the dream place to work at because it's like uh, I mean not only does I mean GDS I think it's funny because you said like you know did you make up this term I do feel like GDS is one of those places that kind of popularized design systems in the UK at least or in Europe um, because most of the work that, that you folks did is now held up as, like, the gold standard of what design systems should be, especially in the open, transparent nature of it all. Um, yeah. It's also-
1: yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, no, it felt. It, it certainly sort of felt that way to me um, <clears throat> while I was there. And, yeah, so I, get, so I suppose, like, while I was there, um, I felt as though, that was where I really kind of got my design systems education and I got to go and meet some really cool teams and work with some really cool people who were working on design systems as well, um, across that kind of three years. And then, yeah. And then I decided I'm going to specialize in design systems. That's going to be my thing now. Um, and because I was a content designer on the team that felt like quite a good sort of niche, like not many people were, even though there was lots of design systems popping up. not many people were sort of hiring content designers, or paying that much attention to their um, documentation, certainly in the UK. I don't know if, that, if I can say that sort of globally, but, um, but yeah, that was my sort of sense. So I decided to kind of stick in that area, um, but try out product management. So I then went to work at Babylon Health um, as a product manager, and I worked there from January last year into the first month or two of the pandemic um yeah I was there as a contractor and uh and I got ill while I was there so I had to sort of leave fairly early um but yeah I spent five months there before that happened and helped them to kind of get the design system off the ground and then after that I had two months off to be ill and freelance <laughs> and sit in the garden and listen to podcasts about human existence and all that the sort of thing you do when you're not very well um and then I went to work at BT and uh, I was there for eight, nine months, again, on a contract, yep. like as a, as a product owner um, for their design system team there. And now I'm not working in design systems, but um,
0: but I still love them. <laughs> <And laughs> we'll return
1: one day, I think.
0: I think you're right. I think that content, sort of designers and content, like the content side of design systems is quite often overlooked unless you're in a massive company. But it's actually one of the... Yeah. I don't know, I feel like it's one of the the places that that should exist from a very early stage for most design systems because, you know, these are the people who know how to actually communicate with people.
1: Yeah, I completely agree. I think it's... um... I think it's really critical because, you know, in those early days of setting up a design system, I think the communication part is so important. And you can't just assume that everybody is going to, like, a design system is going to mean something to everybody. Because even people who've worked with design systems before and understand them, they often have quite different perceptions about what they are and how they should work. So I feel like content designers can really help to sort of marry those perceptions together and form a kind of common view of, of what um what they're all about and what you're trying to achieve with your design system in your organization at that time so i completely agree i'm of course a bit biased though
0: <laughs> no but i mean it, it does make sense and i suppose you know it gets us quite nicely onto the topic because one of the big parts of of communicating your design system is also making um setting your design system up right so that you can actually enable contribution to it. Um, Because I think it's one of those things that people just assume if we build it, then all is fine and we won't have to do anything really beyond that, Um, which is not the case in most cases. Um, And it's one of the things that I know that you've talked about quite a lot is sort of how you, um, yeah, how you sort of set it up in the right way so that you can enable contribution, how you set up your communication in the right way so that you can, enable contribution what have you seen as like some of the the big issues when it comes to sort of how folks contribute to to the design system from across the business
1: oh my god so you're gonna have to edit this down heavily because I have a lot to say (laughs) but like (laughs) I think If I'm honest, I think that the issues around contribution always kind of start with the design system team. Um, And I'm really sorry, I've got a very loud cat outside my door, so I'm hoping (laughs) my friend isn't picking it up. She's she's got a lot to say about contribution too. Um, (laughs) Yeah, so I think that – and I say this from a place of having – well, I feel as though I've made sort of lots of mistakes and and had a lot of kind of – wrong preconceptions about contribution in the beginning of kind of starting to work on it so when I say all of this it's not it's not a sort of like oh I know how to do it perfectly and everyone else gets it wrong it was like I think we got it a bit wrong and that's why I now think what I think but I definitely think like teams can often start out with a with a very sort of idealistic view of what contribution is going to look like um to a design system so like like you said that kind of build it and they will come attitude is, is definitely there um and I think that quite often I've seen it happen in the this well sorry I've seen it happen at GDS and uh Babylon firsthand we didn't get that far with BT um but I've also heard lots of other teams kind of talking about it this thing where you kind of you make the design system and then you put quite a lot of effort in up front to make contribution happen. And then you just expect people to start contributing and you think that you've kind of set up the model and then it will sort of run itself. Whereas the reality I think is that like nobody cares as much about contributing to your design system as you do. And like, why mm-hmm. would they? Because it's not yeah. like, it's not their job. It's your job to Run a design system to maintain it and to update it. Like for everybody else, it's just at best, it's a kind of byproduct of their job, but often it's not even that. It's you know, they're trying to do a job, they want to use the design system. They might, if they have the time um, and the sort of permission to do it, they might feel motivated to give something back, but you can't assume that. So I think sort of expecting that it's going to be an ongoing process and expecting that people aren't really going to do what you want them to do um, and that it's going to take a lot of sort of ongoing time and encouragement. I think that's perhaps a place where where design system teams often get it wrong. And I think yeah. can feel quite disheartened when they've sort of put a lot of effort into setting up their model. And, you know, all these lovely, I certainly did. Like, you know, I spent a lot of time writing These um, really beautiful contribution docs that were just, if I do say so myself, an absolute work of art, (laughs) and um, and no one bloody read them. Like no one read them. I had to constantly tell people they were there, like you know, and I had to sort of you know, people would come to us with questions about, um, oh, you know, I'd like to contribute this thing. Where where do I start? And it's like, there's a there's a guide. There's a really (laughs) beautiful guide there that tells you all of this. Well, yeah. I haven't to it, But I think, you know, it's just it's that acknowledgement that like it's not, you know, this is this is your job. This is your product. The design system is your product that you're working on. But it's not everybody else's. So just like approaching it with that knowledge, I think, is um, is something that perhaps a lot of teams don't do from the outset. And certainly something I didn't do to start with. And that's definitely changed how I kind of would approach contribution now going forward.
0: Yeah, I think it's I think you're 100% right and it's something that I, I don't know I also find that um design systems teams can quite often end up feeling like um the arbiters of having no fun like to the rest of the yeah. design org. Um it's it's <laughs> something that I've seen in in a couple places especially a few friends who are sort of design systems leads where they're just seen as the people who shut everything down because they're wanting to actually, you know, systemize and, and add to it. When it's like, actually, they're trying to achieve the same thing, it's just from a different angle. And, it's, yeah. yeah, it's an interesting one. Um,
1: it definitely is. Like, I think that there's – I think that's, that's a really important thing that you just said. Like, it's the – they're trying to systematize things, and other teams mm. who aren't working on the design system but who are working on a product – They're not trying to systematize things. And so you're always going, like, naturally you're going to end up with this gap between the thing that they give you and the end thing that goes into the design system. And how you bridge that gap, I think there's a lot of different ways to approach it, but you have to expect that you're going to have to bridge that gap. And I think that that's where a lot of teams perhaps, you know, start out with with a slightly sort of off idea about how that's going to work. I think that, like, working with product teams to bridge that gap is one solution or just saying, you know, thanks for your contribution. We're going to have to do some work to it to make it all of these things um, before it goes into the design system. But I think sort of going in with the expectation that teams are going to give you a system-ready thing um, so many teams do that, but it's you know it's just not the reality. So yeah, yeah. I think that
0: that's. Um... I think that's the thing is that ex- exactly what you just said as well. Like it's I think having those two approaches and knowing that there are those two approaches and that those neither of those two approaches is is the right one. It's mm-hmm. about how your teams want to work and and you know it it's funny because it's uh, over all the people that I've been talking to about all aspects of design ops there's just been this constant thread of treat your process and your problem as a product problem and actually look at mm. what the problem is, who it is that you're dealing with, and then tease out the solution from those needs as opposed to going, this is the one way that you you know, enable contribution for your design system or this is yeah. the one way that you do it because it's one way doesn't work for everyone. Every team is different.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And it's not just down to what the teams want either. I think a lot of it is down to sort of what your organization structure is like and what the sort of – how the kind of governance happens in your organization because it might be that actually, you know, your product teams all want – contribution to design systems to work in a very particular way. But Mm. the reality is that, you know, the people who make the decisions in your organization and who sort of pull the strings are not happy for it to work in that way. Like, you know, it might be that product teams would be really interested in spending time kind of learning how to create like system ready components and stuff and they're, you know, willing and and interested in investing that time. But the people that you know have the money and make the decisions and pull the strings in your company, um, aren't happy for that time to be spent in that place and would rather that that responsibility sits with the design system team. And if that's the case, you know, that's at the very least a constraint that you have to take into account, I think.
0: Yeah, yeah, definitely. And actually, I suppose, um, you know, in saying that not one size fits all, um, I'm curious, though, because you've obviously now worked at a, a couple of different places, a few different places on big design systems. Uh, have there been any sort of common threads for ways that you do sort of encourage contribution um, that do run through?
1: I think the common thread is there is no common thread. Like, I... That's, oh, that's way to real. That's out. Really true. <laughs> Oh, man, that's like really like our thing to say isn't it no I think oh my lad's to swear on this podcast no, I won't swear fine, a yeah. lot I promise I'm not I'm not a sweary person but I'll just <laughs> maybe throw the other one in um but yeah I so that's not yeah I don't think it's that there's no common thread I'm sure that like if you spoke to a kind of design system consultant you know mm. like jean Ann or Nathan Curtis but I think they would they would definitely be able to give you more sort of themes than I can. Like I've worked on three, right? So, for me, on those three, the companies and the context would was, was sort of different enough each time yeah. that I had to kind of approach it in, a, in quite a different way um, in each instance. But I suspect if you spent more time kind of going around and working at different organizations, you would start to see more threads um, in terms of, like, organization size and, organization type that would um that would sort of impact how those things played out I think probably like the the common lesson for me in all three cases was to just be really context aware and not to assume particularly coming out of GDS where I felt as though um you know we had done a pretty good job of the contribution model we hadn't We had, I've talked about this kind of before, but we had an amazing service designer on our team who um, was, you know, she spent, I'm trying to sort of think how long it was, but she spent a good chunk of time kind of purely focusing on that. Um, And to have that, to have that sort of dedicated person working on it with obviously all the right skills, service designers, I think are like just magic people. Um, And she in particular was was amazing like and so um she was able to really kind of give it that dedicated time and focus and I think because of that it felt as though although we definitely made mistakes the contribution model worked pretty well and it was one that you know I know from talking to other teams was kind of looked upon from the outside as being like a a kind of gold standard um Mm. And so coming out of that, I think I went into my first sort of contract when I went into work for Babylon. Um, And part of the reason I was hired was because they had sort of aspirations for contribution and they knew that I had been involved in setting that up at GDS, Um, was to go in and sort of set that up there. Mm. And I think I went in, in hindsight, like quite arrogantly thinking like, oh, yeah, I know how to do this. Like I can I just do this here and that will be... Fine, and you know I'll be able to just shortcut everything, and we'll just have this amazing contribution <laughs> model within a matter of weeks because now I know how to do it. And um, but actually, Babylon was so different, and the context was so different that trying to do anything like what we did at GDS was just not feasible there, um, because it's a much smaller organisation. There was much less um, overlap between design and development at Babylon. Um, there was much less, I would say, collaboration between the disciplines. I know that was something they were trying to kind of move away from and and start having them work more closely together. But certainly, like at the point I joined, that was, you know, they were working quite in quite a siloed way. Um, And also at GDS, one of the sort of um, really kind of defining things about it is that in government, they try to encourage designers to design code. So, essentially, like, the designers and the developers are using the same materials and the same tools. And so that makes it wildly different. Like, when you're suddenly dealing with Figma and um, React and you're trying to, you know, you've got different documentation tools in the mix, like, contribution just becomes a a very different sort of beast. And Mm. and I guess, like, the other thing is at GDS, we while we started thinking about contribution quite early on in the process, we did have quite a lot of time and space to set up the system and get it into good shape yeah. before we started to kind of invite more formal self-serve type contribution. Whereas at Babylon, the people who who were kind of you know, responsible for the design system and who were commissioning it were very keen that contribution was, like, rightly so, but were very keen that contribution was sort of happening as the system was being built, which is very, very tricky. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and so we had to think about ways of managing contribution in a way that was sort of not going to overwhelm us while we were still trying to build the system. Mm. Um, and you know, that's really tough. So it was it was a very different kind of approach at Babylon. It was much more um, the way that we kind of approached it was to say, right, we're working on this component now and we're not going to work on anything else. So don't just give us components and <laughs> patterns and stuff. Um, but tell us what you know about this component. You know, if you've got, if you've used this, if you've got examples of it, if you've got research on it, if you, you know, if you can think of how we can make this better, let us know. We would we would hold these kind of open forums for people to come along and, and just share what they had with mm. us and with each other. Um, and so we we actually sort of built the system in a much more collaborative way. Um, whereas at GDS I think we we kind of built the system from you know the ground up within the team um based on a lot of stuff that was already there i should say not we didn't yeah. sort of start with a blank canvas um and and then and then we invited people to contribute and so maybe it felt like contributors had more sort of ownership over um over what you know the process and what they were contributing whereas at babylon i think we were still sort of driving that like we were deciding what the area of focus should be and stuff and then um, and then they were kind of contributing into that rather than it being this kind of parallel stream of, hey, we've made a thing, like please put it in the design system.
0: Yeah, um, I I'm interested as well because the you mentioned there around the um, the concept of open forums for for um, mm. for your design system, and I know one of the I've I've heard you talk about it before, but one of the big issues, I'm not just in design systems, but in design generally is around how you promote sort of inclusivity and, and getting different sort of diverse voices in. Um, and I'm guessing this is a big thing with design systems because you're basically saying this is the codified what we're going to do and what we're going to sort of, you know, use going forward and replicate. Um, contribute to this. It can be very easy to just get the same voices and same people contributing to that. Um yeah. And and yes. I suppose, is, is the open forum a good way to sort of open that up? Do you still find that you have problems of like um, voices that would ne- not necessarily be heard as much, um, still not getting heard?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think the open forum, um, it really depends on how it's done. And I yeah. wouldn't say I know the absolute right way to do it I think I've learned some lessons along the way about how mm. to do it in a more inclusive way um, and certainly at GDS like I learned some stuff about how to sort of facilitate discussions in a way that was more inclusive like mm. than perhaps how we started um, but I do think like this is a really important point I think that often when teams start out with kind of inviting contribution, and this is definitely what we did in the beginning at GDS, they will start by sort of saying, um, you know, we're open for business, please contribute, Mm -hmm. and wait for people to come to them. And I think when you do that, the people you're going to get are people who are, like, knowledgeable about design systems already, who have the time somehow to contribute alongside their day job, who have permission to do that or who feel, you know, empowered to do that mm-hmm. within their role um, and, you know, not everybody does um, and who have the sort of skills and experience to to maybe do that or, or at the very least the kind of confidence to do that. Yeah. And I think yeah. when you, like, when you look for people who tick all of those boxes, you're going to see quite a homogenous group, particularly <laughs> around the sort of permission and confidence yeah. thing. Yeah. You know, I think, and, and and time to a point as well. I think, like, yeah. So I think that certainly something that we recognised after a while at GDS, and that I have tried to be more considerate of more recently, is that, yeah, if you if you sort of just let your your kind of contributors self appoint, yeah, and. Yeah come to you, then it's likely to be a particular group of contributors who are perhaps more privileged in in many respects. And then you build your contribution model based on the learnings from working with those people and the feedback from those people. And so you build your contribution model in a certain direction that supports those people and pushes the people that weren't able to just kind of come and start contributing um, even sort of further out of the picture. And then you have to go and then you go, why is everyone who's contributing to our design system <laughs> a white guy? Yeah. Why? And the and a developer a lot of the time, like why is that happening? Yep. And then you go like, hmm, maybe this, maybe our contribution model isn't as inclusive as it could be. And then you have to go back and try and unpick it. And I think, you know, people who know much more about diversity and inclusion work than I do. Um, a, a sort of thing that I have often heard um, experts in that area say is that, like, like, it's not something you can sort of layer on on top. It's something that you have to really kind of build in from the beginning. Um, and so I think that, like, approaching contribution now, I, I would try to be much more considerate of that and think about, you know, how can we, how can we sort of build something for the unlikely contributors? How can we kind of build something that works for the people who are not just going to come to us and, and say, you know, I know how to contribute. Um, Yeah. Does that, does that make sense?
0: It does make sense. I mean, well, it it makes a whole load of sense because we're talking about systems, right? And, you know, there's, there's a whole reason that, um, you know, systems are self-perpetuating in the, the way that they grow and the way that they develop. And it's how yes. systemic discrimination happens. Um, mm-hmm. Is And so I think you're right. It's like, you know, you do need to go back to um, the root of, you know, the beginnings of, of how you build out your system from the beginning, yes. including your contribution system to to figure out how to actually make that, yeah, an inclusive and diverse place. Because it does make sense. I mean, it's, you know, it is, a bit shitty but it is you will get the people who feel like they have the right to say something they're the ones who are going to say something and unfortunately yeah. our society has, has built that up in a very specific type of person um yeah but yeah it's yeah, um absolutely. No, it's fascinating because i think it's also and it's not just around sort of you know the um uh the standard systems of you know standard sort of privileges that you'd expect either it is also in terms of like um uh, job titles as well right it's you know as you said like Mm -hmm. it's mostly developers who are contributing and probably designers next but it's like actually getting folks from across the business to contribute to the especially you know things like um customer success people support people qa people quite often have just as strong thoughts around these these areas especially around like how you maybe document um your systems that um mm-hmm. getting input from them is massively beneficial
1: yeah yeah and you know sort of in between those those two groups researchers like oh, i yeah, think researchers yes. are such an underserved yeah contributions sort of audience for design systems like we i i i really would love to see i'm sure it exists but I've not worked on it. I would love to see a design system that has found, you know, a good way of getting researchers to contribute um, and a good model for that because I think there's such an important audience. Like, you know, I think that how you how you show research in a design system and how you capture research in a design system is a really interesting area. And I've seen lots of different approaches. And I don't know if I've seen one yet where i think oh they've absolutely nailed it um because it's such a it's such a hard thing to do so i think working with researchers um and getting researchers to contribute is is a thing that is you know often neglected and um and if i kind of if i do go and work on a design system again at some stage i think i'd really really like to explore that more because it's yeah
0: it's funny, actually. I think because I was actually just looking last week on um, the best way to document a com- like a single component to sort of see what the good elements mm-hmm. are. Um, and one of the places that I, I was because I was I was looking and I had this thought as well. I'm like, well, it makes sense if you're trying to part. I don't know. I feel like part of the documentation part of of design systems is um, a little bit convincing somebody that this is the right way to do it as well. Yes, um, yeah. And research just makes 100% sense there. Yet mm-hmm. one of the uh, – GDS is actually – like GovUK, the GovUK design system is one of the only design systems where I've seen research actually being used for at a component level. It's not as common as it should be. Um, no. And, and and I think you're right. Like, I, you know, it's a good example – but I think it probably could be done better. Um,
1: yeah. It, no, it absolutely could. <clears throat> it absolutely could. I, I don't know how either, but this is why I think <laughs> working with researchers is really important because I think yeah. they they would have good ideas about how it could be done better, but we're, we're perhaps not involving them in the conversation.
0: Yeah, you know? 100%. 100%. Um, and, it's,
1: and, and I think, like, the thing that, you know, makes it more complicated is, so uh, our service designer Ignacio and I did a, did a whole sort of piece around how you support research in a design system mm. and try to kind of understand like what the needs were around research in a design system and sometimes it's what you say, which is you know people want the rationale. people aren't happy to just like use stuff they want to know why they should be using it they yeah. want to have confidence in this pattern or this component and know that you know it's based on something. Um, but in a way, the people who feel that they need and deserve that kind of convincing are again, quite often in that more privileged group, because maybe they have a choice, right? Whereas there are other people who are just like, I, I, you know, just tell me what to do. Like, I just have to use the thing that's in the system and that's what I'm going to do. And like, it's, um, and for those people, sometimes it's about providing justification for their product owner for their you know design lead or something and not perhaps for them directly and the way that you serve those different needs is quite a different treatment so research in design systems I think is not just one thing like we talk about it as sort of one thing but actually it has to cater to different needs and often it, it requires like different Formats, you know, sometimes people just want numbers. Like if you say, well, oh, this pattern's been used 10,000 times in our organisation, then for some people that's enough of a justification. But for others, it's like, uh, you know, I really want to know how this thing's been tested. And just because it's being used across the board, that doesn't mean it's good. How do you know that this is the right way to approach it? What other things did you try? And yeah. so on and so on. So, yeah, definitely a sort of underserved area, I think, and something that I'd, I'd really like to. They're more
0: about apart from the stuff that we've been talking about today um so a good example is research um if we're looking to the future of what sort of design systems should be in the future what is an area that you want everybody to be looking at more
1: oh that's fascinating um i think that i think that i would like in general for people to Start to move away to, from you know some of these sort of template things that we that we that that become the kind of artifacts of every design system. So when we say design systems, we're thinking most of the time I think about you know a documentation website, a uh, a code library, and a you know component like design components like design assets and design tools and things and perhaps a perhaps a contribution model not always um and i think that it would be good if people could start thinking perhaps more broadly about design systems and what they might entail and you know maybe it's Maybe it's not starting with any of those things. Maybe the start point is process. Maybe the start point is people or community. And you start to think more about, you know, what is our goal here? Is, it, is our goal to make everything look the same? Is our goal to create sort of cohesion in, in the way that we design? Or is our goal to get more collaboration happening across the organization? But whatever it is, thinking about, like, more creatively about ways we could solve that problem so that systems aren't just... Aren't just sort of artifacts and things that you can look at, and you don't always just have to start with, you know, creating your your sort of front end library or you know whatever it is like. But actually, kind of thinking, you know, where's the best place for us to start? What's our biggest problem to solve? And you know, I think that one thing that is talked about a lot, you know, when you sort of when you ask people why they're creating design systems usually the reasons all sound quite similar don't they there's you know we want to create sort of consistency and unity within our products and we want to create efficiency um in the way that we work or we want to elevate our product quality and we want to make the the quality of our products better across the board Mm -hmm. and one thing that i've started to think about more recently is that i think that actually sometimes it pays to think about which of those things is your sort of hero, like which is the one that you care about the most. Because they they perhaps all happen to a point with a good design system. But if you're starting out, which of those things matters most? Because if if it was, say, product quality, then, you know, you can think about things like how you're going to encourage, like, knowledge sharing and Mm. um, and sort of help to – Upskill people and um, and just you know share more openly what people are working on, providing mechanisms to do that, so that you're kind of collectively building the knowledge and the skills and the experiences of the people in your organisation. And that might look quite different from if your main goal was consistency. You think you know actually everything we're producing is pretty good, but it all looks completely different, and yeah. people don't really know who we are as a business or a brand. Um, you know. Your approach to that might be might be more like the traditional way that we approach design systems. So I guess I, I think where I would like to see things going is that people start to think more openly and more creatively about how to solve these problems. And I, I really I know like Gina Anne has talked a lot about um, has talked a lot about this and, and kind of people first design systems and stuff. And it's definitely an area that I think I'd like to see growing and, and more acknowledged and recognised.
0: It feels like it's the the way that design systems as a concept can mature, right? Um, and I think uh-huh. you're, you're 100% spot on the whole um, knowing what you're trying to achieve, almost having like, you know, we have design principles at a product level uh, quite often. Uh-huh. Um, having principles at a sort of almost like a systems team or a design systems as a product level to understand what you're trying to achieve yeah, like that. Just it just helps focus, and it helps helps you, you know, figure out what you're trying to do and what you're trying to achieve. Because yeah, there are so many different ways you can approach this, right?
1: Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think that you know, if you're if you're starting out with your component library, but everybody in the organization has got a different idea about how design should happen and what mm. values you have and mm. what you're trying to achieve, like. That it's like trying to fit the windows before you've built the house you know you I think that like thinking about what foundations do you need because that's not always there and I think sometimes people just assume that it is you know like at at Babylon I would say something I really recognized was that the there was definitely room to sort of establish that culture like there were definitely different ways of working there. There were definitely different values there amongst the people who worked there. And, um, and often at times it felt like multiple organizations in one to me. And I think that, you know, trying to set up a design system and get people excited about it and get people working on it and contributing to it in that kind of environment where you don't have that sort of basic culture established um, and those ways of working and those values is really is really tough. And yeah, I think um, I think it's definitely something that needs needs sort of more consideration mm-hmm. and, and looking at more.
0: Definitely, definitely. Thank you so much for coming on. Um, we're going to okay. we're going to ship you off to your desert island now. Um, so uh-huh. we've come to the part where you need to decide on your three things that you're going to take to the desert island with you. Um, which are a piece of music, a piece of literature, or a book. Um, you know, I don't want to be constrained, you know, constrained by just actual published books um, and a luxury item. Uh, so let's start off with the What's music. Exactly this? Sorry. Okay.
1: The music. No, I, that's okay. I'll ask you the book question when we get to the book. <laughs> the literature. So the piece of music i would have is sarah newfeld where the light comes in because i just find it a lovely relaxing and uplifting piece of music and i think i would need to be relaxed and uplifted if i was on a desert island
0: oh that sounds amazing i'm gonna have to go and check that out Mm -hmm. straight away
1: it's very soothing (laughs) very soothing yeah and
0: yeah the piece of literature
1: Mm-hmm. so what's the piece of literature if it's not a book i really struggled with this one so i'm fascinated I, to know
0: i mean you know you might you might just have a, a really good blog post i don't know uh or, or oh, just I, I, I think the collected tweets of like um i'm trying to think of somebody who'd be entertaining and horrible whilst you're on it elon musk the collected tweets of elon musk on an oh, island <laughs>
1: Wow. Yeah, no, so I didn't go down that route. Um, but that, that's a fascinating take on it. I have decided to go for a boring but essential survival guide
0: Ooh. of self
1: description. I think I can't even put up a 10. So I feel <laughs> like I would really need some help in that department.
0: I think that's a, yeah. that's a phenomenal idea. That's I think that's the best suggestion we've had so far for literature um and then Thank you very much in terms of a luxury item it's a tough one mm-hmm.
1: it's it wasn't that tough for me but it depends on whether you think my choice constitutes a luxury item <laughs> but i would like a roast dinner
0: a roast dinner just, ideally just a single roast dinner week. oh every week okay yeah an endless supply of roast dinners
1: just like once a week, yeah, and a nice roast dinner. I think
0: it's the thing I would find hardest to live without, so, yeah. Oh, I mean, to be honest, I'm actually just using these podcasts as a way to, um, like, prep for uh, the, the apocalypse, um, and so I think roast, okay. roast dinner has just gone on my, my checklist. Um, an endless supply yeah. of gammon, I don't know. It's, yeah,
1: it's an apocalypse essential, for sure.
0: Thank you so much to Amy for joining us. Believe Amy boning up on her survival skills on the island, trying to turn gravy into a fuel source, I suppose. You can find Amy online at amyhup.co.uk, that's A M Y H U P E, and she collects all her talks and writings on her site, or you can find Amy on Twitter at amyhup. You can also catch Amy at the upcoming Content by Design conference, which is run by Clear Left, and it's happening online on the 6th and 7th of July. Tickets are still available, I believe, so definitely jump on that, and hopefully I'll see you there. Next week, we float down the canal to London for our final episode of Season 1, to talk with Enhike Gusso, Principal Designer on Design Systems at WISE, on what the perfect design systems team looks like. Until then... Bon voyage!